Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Betty with the message. Hello, everyone. Uh, For those who may not know me or recognize me, my name is Elizabeth Ebling, or Betty, as many friends around here call me. And if you have uh, not heard part of my story um, or a little bit of my background, I actually grew up in Iowa. And I lived on a farm um, until I was 12 years old, where the closest town had a population of 88 people. And so on our farm, we had quite a bit going on. We had thousands of pigs. Uh, We had cows. We had chickens. We had ducks at one point. We had um, a huge garden. We had so many things all throughout the year that required uh, a lot of participation from the family. And so from a young age, I would participate in chores and different jobs that were assigned to me to help take care of the farm. So sometimes that meant going out and picking vegetables, or sometimes that meant collecting eggs, um, sometimes that meant feeding the cows. But there was one job that was kind of self-assigned, and that was the job of kitten tamer. And so I'm not sure if any of you have had experience with this, maybe if you've uh, been around farms that have cats. (laughs) Um, But uh, the first cat that we had on our farm, uh, we you know, took the precautions in order to keep her from having kittens and multiplying. Uh, But then we got another cat and then another cat. And before we knew it and we were able to stay ahead of the game, um, they multiplied and we ended up with over 30 cats. (laughs) And so my job, uh, my self-assigned job, was that anytime I would see a cat whose belly was growing and growing and I knew was about to have a litter soon, my job would be to keep an eye out for when that cat would show up again and the baby belly was gone and I would go on a hunt to find the litter. Because often what cats do out of instinct is they take their litters and they hide them to protect them from predators and from other animals. Uh, So they, they hide them in a really strategic location so that nobody else bothers them. But the problem with that is that obviously if cats are not exposed to people, uh, they don't turn out very friendly and you end up with a bunch of feral cats. And we wanted either to be able to have tame cats or to be able to find homes for these kittens um, where they could be loved and they could be cared for. And so we wanted them to be tame. And I was quite passionate about that. And so I would go and I would find these litters of kittens. And usually it ended up being this kind of chasing game because I would find the litters of kittens, the mama cat, even if she was friendly, just out of instinct, would be like, oh man, they found the nest, and she would end up moving it. So I would go back the next day to see the kittens, and they would be in a different location, and I'd have to go on a hunt again. But I always found them, and usually was able to uh, somewhat tame them. But there was one cat that was a little bit different, and she kind of broke all of the 
like cat social norms. <laughs> she was really, really small, even when she was a full grown adult. And she just loved people. She wanted to be where the people were, and she was so friendly. And before we had a chance to go and to get her fixed, she actually ended up uh, pregnant as well. But what was different about her was that instead of going and hiding and trying to find a different place for her litter to be born, when she was going into labor, she would actually come and try to sneak into the house and wanted to have her kittens in our house because she so desperately wanted like us to love them or something. I'm not sure. She just wanted them to be close to us, even when they were freshly born, which is so unusual for animals. Usually they're very protected for those first few weeks when they're born. But from the very beginning, she just wanted them to be around us. It was the strangest thing. And so <laughs> there were times that we would actually, I remember one time we got her as, as she was just about to have her kittens and she was coming into our house and we put her back outside so that she could find a place outside to have her kittens and at the time we had this little like card table this folding table that was leaned up against um the front door in our front porch and so she actually basically made this little nest underneath of that table literally right next to our door because she just wanted so badly for her kittens to be close to us but what was funny was leading up until that time when she was still pregnant with those kittens she <laughs> she always wanted to take in other things. So there was actually, at one point, I'm pretty sure she tried adopting little baby rabbits. Obviously that did not end well. Um, but there was at one point when she was pregnant that there was another cat who had had kittens a few weeks before. And there was one kitten in the litter of this, of this other cat that was just super off. Um, he kind of had these googly eyes, like his eyes were not crossed in towards each other. They were kind of crossed to the outside and he was just really temperamental. He looked different than the other kittens. Like he, he was just a little different and it seemed as though he was kind of being neglected. He wasn't being taken care of as well as the other kittens in his litter. And so this cat, the, the odd little one, um, her name was Cleo, and Cleo would hear the cries of this kitten from this other litter. And while she was still pregnant, she would waddle across the farm, and she would find that kitten that was crying, and she would pick him up, and at a few weeks old, he was like almost half her size. And with this massive belly, she would waddle and just drag him across the farm to this little nest that she had made close to our house. So we saw this happening and we're like, no, you can't do this. What are you thinking? You, you can't even produce milk yet. Like, why are you trying to take in this kitten? It's not yours. So we would try taking it back to the other kittens. And she was relentless. 
So we would look out the window and all of a sudden we would see her again and with her fat body and her belly almost touching the ground and this massive kitten hanging out of her mouth, she was dragging it across the farm again to be with her. So finally, she has her kittens because we just kind of gave up. We're like, listen, you know what you want and no matter how hard we try to keep this kitten away from you, it's not going to work. So whatever. Um... The other mama cat didn't seem to care that you stole her cat. Um, so she has her litter of kittens, and they all were angelic. You would step outside, and you just heard all these little purrs because they were all friendly like their mom. They were like, Rrr. but then there was this massive kitten that was just hanging out with them <laughs> that would just... <laughs> He just hated everything and everyone, and he was grumpy, and he still had the googly eyes and looked all funny and was all weird, but she adored him. She just wanted him to be one of her own kittens, and she didn't care if this, you know, delinquent kitten was influencing her other kittens. She loved him as if he were her own. She loved this kitten that was a total little outcast, a total outsider. In the last couple of weeks, Derek has been talking about the heartbeat that God has called us to as a church, and a big part of that is loving and welcoming the outsider. So we're going to look today at a passage where Jesus shows us the perfect example of what it means to love somebody um, who has been outcast. So, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke 8, starting in verse uh, 40, and we're going to read 40 through 48. And I'll be reading out of the uh, New Living Translation. So, in verse 40, it reads this. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So as we dig into this passage a little bit, would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much uh, for your word and that we get to see these living examples of Jesus and how he loved those who were so ostracized uh, from society and how he saw people 
Um, I pray, God, that your words would come alive, that whatever is from me would fall to the ground, and whatever is from you, God, would uh, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, this passage is interesting because it's not just mentioned in one gospel, and it's not just mentioned in two of the gospels, it's actually mentioned in three. <laughs> it's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And a lot of times we look at this passage as um, from the perspective of the faith of this woman, and that's a huge part of the story. But it also shows us just such a significant part of Jesus's character. So to give a little bit of background about this woman, um, she was considered unclean, ceremonially unclean, which means that she was unable to enter the temple to worship. So um, if, if you look back at some of the, the laws that the Jewish people followed, um, you can see, for example, in Leviticus 15, it talks about how women who would experience, um, um, you know, their monthly cycle, every month they were considered unclean, not only during that time, but for an entire week uh, after it had stopped. And in order to become clean again, they would have to go to the entrance of the temple and they would have to offer a sacrifice um, usually of two turtle doves or pigeons, in order to be considered clean again and to be able to participate. Um, but not only were they unclean, so not only was a woman unclean if she was experiencing this, but anybody who touched them, anybody who had any sort of contact with them uh, during the time that they were bleeding, uh, were considered unclean as well. And so they would also have to go through a process of becoming clean in order to uh, enter the temple again. But also, if we look at um, some of the other laws in the Old Testament, for example, in Numbers 5, as the nation of Israel was traveling and encamping in the wilderness, they were commanded that people like her and that um, lepers who had a very contagious uh, contagious condition actually had to live outside of the camp. So not only were they not allowed to be in the temple, but they weren't even allowed to be within the people. And it's so interesting to me because I think for years I would, I would look at some of those old laws and how people were considered unclean or had to be separated from everyone else. And I thought, why, why would God do that? Why would God isolate these people or label them as, as dirty or unclean? Um, but then after studying, I started to realize that really it was meant to be for the good of the whole. Because obviously if somebody... Um, like a leper who had a very contagious condition was just walking about, um, they could spread their condition to other people. And then the same, I guess, with, with women at the time, there wasn't the same type of tools that we have now to keep things um, hygienic and to keep, you know, things literally clean. And so I guess that makes sense, like hypothetically. But as I've reflected on some of these things recently, 
I have come to realize that a lot of us uh, have actually, I think, started to experientially understand some of this a little bit better after the last year or two, right? Um, so how many of you, I'm guessing most, um, have either had COVID or were exposed to somebody who had COVID or maybe have either dealt with um, a compromised immune system or um, out of protection of somebody that you know that has a compromised immune system, you had to quarantine, you had to isolate, um, or even the times that we were shut down as a state and it was, um, you know, it was encouraged and it was mandated at times for us to do that. And I think we've learned that the whole motivation behind that is for, to protect the good of the whole, right? To protect everybody else. Um, but we also recognize that we, it affects us <laughs> and that it's really meant to be a temporary solution. Like it's a temporary protection of something spreading. Um, but we also know that, that people deeply need to be in contact with one another. Um, and it takes a toll on us. That, that isolation has mentally and emotionally and sometimes even physically taken a toll on all of us to some degree. And um, for example, uh, there are studies that say that an aver on average, an individual needs seven hugs a day in order to maintain optimal well-being. And I'm sure that that varies a bit from person to person, but that speaks to the fact that we need connection. We need to be in contact with one another. And I know for myself, I live by myself. And so at the beginning of, of 2020, when things were all shut down, there was months on end um, that I did not have any form of physical contact with another person. And I had never known that that type of pain before. And I don't know if I want to again. Um, and I recognize, too, that that's also just a very, very small glimpse. Um, I know that that's... that's um, small in comparison with what a lot of people have experienced throughout this time or who for people who have lived in isolation for years um, and never come into contact with people. But all that to say, isolation affects us. Even if it's um, for the protection of everybody else, like it, it takes this, this toll on us. And so imagine this woman who had been considered unclean not just for a few months and not even just for a couple years, but for over a decade. Not only was she unclean, but anybody who came into contact with her was unclean. So not only was she, I'm sure, exhausted and very physically weak from this, but she had been living in years and years and years of this social isolation. And so when Jesus encounters her, he's not just encountering somebody who's been physically sick, 
but he's encountering somebody who's really been an outcast. And there's a couple ways that Jesus responds to this that I think is really important. The first is that he's willing to be interrupted. Because when you look at this story, Jairus had just come to him and was like, my daughter, 12 years old, is dying. So it was pretty urgent. And Jesus was doing ministry. He was doing something super important. So he was in the middle of this pretty uh, significant mission when this woman uh, came to him. And he wasn't in so much of a hurry that he couldn't recognize it. He wasn't so uh, bound by his schedule and his agenda and what it was that he was about to do that he couldn't recognize what was happening in that moment. And it just strikes me, too, how Jesus... He's so in line with what it is that the Father is doing, but he's also so in tune with himself and his own body and his own soul that he was able to feel and recognize in that moment when power left him as this woman touched him. Because like Peter said, of course people are touching you. Everyone's around you, but Jesus was so in tune with the present moment that he could feel what was happening that turned him to this woman to heal her. And I can imagine as well how Jarius felt as he saw Jesus, like, stop and turn to this woman. And, and maybe some anxiety was rising of, like, no, this is really urgent. And we actually see in the following verses that while Jesus was talking to this woman, the little girl died. And, of course, Jesus was not anxious about it and he knew that it was for the better good and he was able to raise the girl back to life which is like you know way cooler but um there was something so significant that he didn't overlook this woman just because he was in the middle of doing something really important and how many of us i know that we live in a culture that's so captivated by our, our schedules. And, and it can even be schedules that are full of like ministry type things or outward type things. But Jesus didn't allow his schedule to dictate every single move that he made. And he was willing to see this woman who desperately needed to be healed, who desperately needed to be welcomed back into society. And he didn't see her as a burden or an interruption. The second way that he responds is that he welcomes her as if she's family. He calls her daughter. So when he healed her, it was so much deeper than a physical healing. And again, one can only imagine how weak and sick she must have been after all of these years of dealing with this issue. 
But when he spoke to her, when he called her daughter, when he healed her body, what he was also doing was restoring her back into relationship again with himself and with others. That while before she couldn't even enter into the temple, here she was coming face to face with God incarnate. And he called her daughter and welcomed her into his family. And before anybody that she touched became unclean, but yet here she was. And as soon as she touched Jesus, she became clean. And she became welcome again back into family. And I know it's a... <laughs> Maybe a funny comparison, but when I look at that cat that I had and how dedicated she was to loving that little outsider, she had enough going on on her plate. I mean, she was expecting a whole litter of herself, but yet she didn't let that stop her. She was so determined. She was so in tune in the moment to hear the cry of that kitten that just desperately needed to be loved. And when she pursued him and when she took him in and when she welcomed him into his family, she wasn't concerned about the way that he would taint and influence the other little kitties. <laughs> She was simply concerned that he would be a part of a family. Our job as followers of Jesus are to be people who reconcile, who reconcile others to God and who reconcile others back into community with one another. We've been given this, this task. And so I have a couple, a couple questions to think about. The first is, are, are we people who are willing to have our schedules interrupted for the sake of seeing the outsider that needs to be welcomed in? Are we so in tune with what God is doing and even what is happening in ourselves that we would be willing to stop even in the middle of busyness to engage with the people that God has brought to be reconciled. And my next question is this. Are you someone who maybe feels either like you're afraid of engaging with people who are labeled unclean, who are maybe off, or you're afraid might influence you or the people around you? But that desperately need to be welcomed into a family? Or maybe you are one of those people who 
feels like like unclean yourself <laughs> that anybody that you come in contact with it just goes wrong but just know that when you come into contact with Jesus you're made clean and you're welcomed in his family so as we reflect on on those things and as we are open to what it is that God um, might do and what God might show us. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that you show us this example of what it means to welcome someone who has been outcast by society and and identify them as, as family. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show us people that need to be welcomed in. Even if it seems inconvenient or odd or um, like an interruption, God, I, I pray that you would change our hearts so that we don't see those people as, as a burden. And I pray, God, now for um, anyone who's been feeling like a burden or feeling like an outcast or feeling like they don't belong, Jesus, I pray that you would meet with them. And that they would experience this restoration, not just with you, but with your people and with your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.